0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Emily Moyer and this is Strange Mosaic and Chance Garden from Interverse, Vibrant, Weaving Spiders and other random offerings is here with me today. And what I thought I was going to do when I woke up this morning for the show is completely different than what I think we're going to do now based on... like I went and listened to an interesting interview you did just before, at in, in the very end of 2019, right? And it was... Uh, It was a really good interview. I was disappointed to see how many views it had, because not very many, and it was deserving of a lot more than that. So I'm kind of basing what I want to do off of that, which I listened to this morning. I'm super excited. Chance Garden, welcome to Strange Mosaic. How are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing awesome. Today's great. I feel like I have tons of momentum right now. I I think I had good stuff in 2019, but the community didn't really materialize until the lockdown. So I don't know. I found people on Telegram and then they started organically improving my situation, maybe doing more like YouTube live streamy type stuff, but I'm very curious which interview it is you're talking about.
0: So I listened to you on the cosmic keys podcast on the one that you did on uh, festivals in the
1: occult. Oh, that old chestnut. I wore the right shirt indeed. (laughs)
0: You wore the right shirt. It looks almost exactly like the thumbnail that they picked that I wasn't sure if that was their thumbnail or some piece of art of yours, because I noticed when I was looking through some of your older videos that you had some videos that you did like many years back called Lords of Consciousness that looked like. It had some art in it that looked like the thumbnail that they chose for that. So I've been making up stories as to whether that was your art or theirs. I don't know, but I like to make up stories. So either way. <laughs> yeah, the
1: thumbnail, I remember that show and the thumbnail they used is not my art, but it is reminiscent of my art style.
0: Very. Okay. I wasn't even sure that you did. I know that you do all kinds of things with sound and whatnot, but I wasn't sure if you were like a fancy psychedelic thumbnail DMT Entity art maker as well. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, my artwork gets associated with that quite often, although I've never actually made art under the influence and I'm not really a psychedelic user currently. Ah. But maybe I should share a little bit just since we're already on the subject. I'll pick a random example that I have a scan. All right. On my computer. I really want to pick a winner. I think all I've got is like a winner. Yeah. I've got mostly, okay. This is a good one. This one feels super psychedelic. All right. Let's see. I call this one or I call this one lost in words. Ooh, very cool. So it looks like it's got some sort of like
0: aspects of kind of like Zen tangle and different kinds of, uh, uh, styles of art along with psychedelia and themes that one often you know uh, themes or ideas that one often comes across in that space so very cool but yes actually it's pretty um like I'd say there's a good resonance between this this piece of art and the thumbnail that they used for that show so
1: yeah I think so. <laughs> Dan's awesome I'm actually going on Cosmic Keys again tomorrow night so pretty cool sync that that came up well,
0: it's a weird thing. I'd never heard of Cosmic Keys until last week uh, when I was talking with my friend Mitch, uh, and she was telling me she'd mentioned something about that. And I'd never heard of that podcast. And then the thing that I listened to two of yours this morning that kind of ended up being the basis of what I want to do today was also them. And then you're going on there tomorrow. So sing, sing, sing all the way. I don't know them. Hello to Cosmic Keys. I think it was Dan and Scarlett. Was that their names? I think I heard them say.
1: Yeah. Now Dan's just a solo project. Dan Joss, He's stronger this way actually. He's a badass astrologer and great researcher. Super fun show.
0: Cool. Hi, Dan. Maybe we'll chat sometime. All right. <laughs> so, um, okay, well, you just said some interesting stuff. I actually, I thought that that was a really interesting time because you did that show in October of 2019. So just a few months before we got into this just really different kind of, of world than, than we were in before. Um, and I actually thought it was a really, really good interview. So it's fascinating to me that that sort of that wasn't resonating more with people and and then that that required you you know you sort of going through the period of of lockdown or whatever it was to sort of coalesce your community because i thought that was bad not that
1: the funny thing is emily is i had to exercise extreme psychic vampirism out of my personal life and then Uh. I was sort of forced to do it. I, I didn't want to. I was lying to myself. And then once ah. it once the universe made it happen, yeah. <laughs> the, the vampirism made itself too obvious to ignore anymore. Ah. Then all of a sudden, like in the career sphere, everything just started popping off for me, too. It demonstrates that your current of energy, the economy of energy that you have in your own biofield is everything when it comes to how your external world experiences come about and who you connect with or don't connect with.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. And I think there's a number of us creators also who that period of time, even though it was challenging for the world and for lots of people, that was my best growth as well was during those years where like, OK, all the focus is going to be on this now because we're not allowed to do much else. And and yeah, that did vibrate some people out of the sphere that that weren't helpful and, and others, others in. Um, so I wanted to like I had thought initially that we would talk some about a lot of your work with sex sound in this first part and not that that can't come into it 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 can but based on what I listened to this morning it kind of like it brought up some things that I didn't expect to bring up and I thought this would be a really good time to maybe revisit some of that because it's a few years out from some of the things that you said then um, and you've had this sort of period of growth and change but I was really surprised um like how similar, but like it's, I was telling Laura this this afternoon the path that you and I had both sort of into this space but and into dance music was like very, very similar. In some ways, it seems like opposite, like opposite sides of the spectrum, but like the same kind of path. And, and I recognized while I was listening to you talk that you have so many things to say. About your experiences that were very, very similar to what I had to say when I first started getting interviewed, particularly about, you know, the dance music aspect of of my life as well. And um, and just the path that you had into this. So I thought maybe we could revisit some of that today sort of in retrospective, because you're further out from that. And then maybe in the second hour, I want to really like start digging down into the science of the music of, of both the underground dance music culture and the festival scene. Um, But uh, yeah, so I thought we could talk a little bit about that in the first bit here. I found your entry story pretty interesting. I don't know if you remember that interview or not. Um, It has been a while. Okay. So your entry story was really interesting in that you, um, well, you talked a little bit about your religious upbringing, um, and, and, you know, that, that sort of developed your taste for trying to understand the philosophies of like movements and way of living and, 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 and whatnot. Um, and then you also talked about, you had some courses at college, like you kind of screwed up college and weren't really doing it right. You just got stuck with two classes that ended up being inspirational for you as to what you would do sort of next and what you took to, from them. My, my entrance into. I guess, conspiracy, like yours seemed to come from like more of this spiritual consciousness sort of thing. And you also said you had seen zeitgeist at that time, but I got introduced to the sort of conspiracy realm from college as well. Um, right. Which is kind of shocking to people based on like the other things we know about college. But I was, when you were describing this experience that you'd had with this sort of Meditation, like sort of meditative writing course, and this other professor you'd have that sort of like your inspiration for like why what life means and what the things you're doing. It really reminded me in a different, in the same but different way of this experience that I had in college that sent me off in a different direction. So, does that still sort of resonate for you as sort of how you ended up in this space, or do you see it all differently now?
1: No, that totally resonates. The real value of the two classes you're talking about. So I was just sort of bumbling my way through college. I didn't care about it. I was there because mom and dad sent me, and I wanted to at least like complete the degree and not waste their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wound up getting kicked out of journalism school <laughs> for a low GPA, which is great because who knows where I would have wound up if I went through the journalism school at University of Missouri. They're like placing people in CNN and MSNBC. They're a huge, huge farm for the puppets on the screen of cable news. So I got kicked out for bad grades and I switched to a creative writing major, mm-hmm. which was amazing. I, I mean, I've always loved reading and communicating in language uh, to a degree and I've had, a, I have a very analytical mind. So learning how to workshop stories, And explore the symbolism in them. That was like a stepping stone that then led me to the two classes you're talking about where I kind of fumbled. Yeah. And didn't get signed up for courses in time and had to just take a few that had open spots to keep myself on the roster. And one of them was writing the spiritual journey. And there was no real qualifications for getting a good grade in that class other than to write. Um, Anything goes. Just write about what you think about life, the universe and everything. And that was great because I got really shunted into the materialist atheist corner. Like mm-hmm. I, I mentioned that I saw Zeitgeist when I was like 17 or 18 mm-hmm. before college. And at the time, I had no idea what that really did to me. <laughs> that movie, I, I see that movie as more, uh, I don't know, more psyop than actual.
0: Very demoralizing.
1: <laughs> Very demoralizing. Yeah. And then. Like the first movie has information that's good to know. Uh, mm-hmm. It is really good to syncretize the sun God religions, but it also throws everything out or makes mm-hmm. you want to throw everything out mm-hmm. and, call, and call it all BS. It doesn't actually show you the beauty of how that symbolism reflects nature very much, or maybe it's just where I was at the time. I don't know. So <laughs> I went into that complete rejection internally, but externally was trying to still act like I was the same person. and. Anyway, it really <laughs> and I've dealt with like psychic vampirism in relationships my whole life as well. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of like empath narcissist magnet.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I don't yeah. I don't blame
1: them. I I realize now that I was like setting myself up for it because of lying to myself all the time, especially back then, you know, pretending like I'm aligned with somebody re- religiously and Morally, when well, <laughs> in fact, like I needed to develop morality for myself for the, the natural law side of it rather than the because I said so side of it, yeah, which is way more empowering. So, anyway, this writing the spiritual journey class hit me when I was like in my early 20s, maybe 21 or 22, probably probably 22. And alongside of it, this meditation class that the whole class was you just meditate for 15 minutes at the beginning, and then the next 30 minutes. You write or talk about stuff. And uh, the only thing you had to do outside of the class was write for like 10, 10 minutes or five minutes a day about anything. And it could even be for other work. The whole point was to teach the uh, the class to develop a daily practice of something Mm -hmm. so that you could see what daily practice actually amounts to. So. That was hugely powerful. Like later in life, I applied it to here. Here's another piece of art right here. This art took me over a year to complete <laughs> because wow. I, it's, a, it's a big piece yeah. and um, it's probably like, I don't know, probably like <laughs> 18 inches across. <laughs> yeah. And so, like working on it 15, 20, 30 minutes a day, maybe not every day, but as many days as I could, eventually got me there. And so, that's yeah. the power of the daily practice and you can apply it to everything. Yeah. And I also like learned how what you do every day or every week is actually kind of who you are. <laughs> and you can't pretend like you're not the person that you are when you're doing all these things that are self defeating or self sabotaging rather than something that is putting your bioenergy into some kind of container or vessel where you can store it and keep it. Like when you make art, as opposed to just mindless consumption of Netflix or something, your spiritual currency, your attention is going into an artifact that continues to exist and actually builds value over time, potentially. Whereas, you know, you're feeding it to the machine. <laughs> you don't get that back. All you get back is like worthless knowledge about trivia of different fiction, which I have a lot of. I, mean, I, I, I was going to say, it seems like Netflix. you
0: spent a little time with the Netflix and the movies as well. <laughs> oh, no
1: doubt. No doubt. And yet, I, yet I still do from time to time. You know, I, I really can't, I almost can't help myself. I want to see what the symbolism is. I want to, because that's the other beautiful thing is when you learn the language of symbolism, which is what, uh, the first steps in my life were towards that was the creative writing major mm-hmm. and the writing, the spiritual journey class, where I just started actually asking myself the big questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What do I think this is again? Cause I'd shut myself off from those questions completely. Asking myself those questions again, inevitably led me later, not too long later at all, really, to start applying what I understood about symbolism at the time. Because I was also a film studies minor, which is like not how to make movies, but the language of film. Mm -hmm. And so learning all these different languages, the language of film, the language of symbolism, we could talk about later the language of the biofield. I've realized now That language is everything. (laughs) Language is how we communicate, not just with each other, but with the, the universal ether or Mm -hmm. the all mind. And the language of symbolism is huge for that. So you can start interpreting your life's experiences, what you see in the external world with symbolic literacy in the synchromistic way. And this is the value of synchromisticism, in my opinion, is it gives a, a deeper language communicating ability from the all the pleroma to you through this symbolism, and it's actually always been communicating with you this way, whether or not you were like paying attention or noticing it. But when you start noticing it, you can start communicating back, and then rather than archetypes or what people call archons controlling you uh, psychologically <laughs> manipulating you, because there's there's days out there who are Also in conversation with these archetypes and polluting them, you can start having a conversation with the archetypes and they shift based on what you're telling them Mm -hmm. rather than it being just a one way street. That's how I think it is. I don't think it's like we're ruled by archetypes or archons. I think it's co-creative. a 100%. So your conversation with them is massively important. And if you're not conversing, if they're just, you're just getting the program updates and you're not also like, Giving the UI user feedback, <laughs> then you know it's the same old idea. Like if you don't control yourself, somebody else controls you.
0: Yeah. So you so said a couple of interesting things there. So I'm going to try and I don't know how I know. I'm going to try and go in order. I'm going to. I want to go back and talk a little bit about um, your the the zeitgeist movie and your your courses and, and, and makes draw some comparisons there. And then I wanted to, um, thank you. Um, the, so, and then I wanted to say uh, about the language, about language and then about archons or archetypes, because I haven't heard anybody say it that way, that I thought that was kind of interesting. So um, it's interesting that you had a documentary and then some classes at about the same time that really sort of shifted your trajectory. Right. Or Were they about the same time? Or I think maybe the zeitgeist came
1: a little before the courses. No, the zeitgeist came before and it, the, the zeitgeist was really demoralizing, as you said. And yeah. later iterations of that old zeitgeist movement became like full-blown communism.
0: Right. Right, right, right. right. Okay. So you're alive. Was- but
1: I will say that one thing that stuck with me from that movie was the information about the economic system. Right. And I kind of just like banked that I was like, Oh, okay. So everything's fucked. And I became pretty nihilistic and mm-hmm. just wanted to veg out and do the bare minimum in life and just be as distracted as possible and not think about how everything was fucked as I mm-hmm. be- believed it after seeing that movie. But when I got to my capstone class as an English major, you get the offer to create some kind of media project about any subject that you want. And I ended up making my first attempt at it sort of like one of those old school YouTube documentaries that's like clips with voiceover. Mm -hmm. And I made one about the monetary system and fiat money (laughs) because I had remembered that that was a thing. And then the Occupy movement was starting to pop off. And I was like, wait, 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 why is this happening? Why are people mad at the Fed? Oh, yeah, that movie Zeitgeist. And I started looking deeper into it. And even back then, I barely scratched the surface. But that was my entry into sort of conspiratorial thinking was realizing that the money that we are what we call money is actually debt (laughs) to Uh put it simply and then like recently i've there's always more to unlock about that but recently i've been really interested in alconomics based Uh on a book by tracy twyman Uh money grows on the trees of knowledge Uh the tree of knowledge uh yeah (laughs) that concept is really really brilliant and maybe we could talk about that a little bit more too but that was Anyway, like seventeen-ish was when I saw Zeitgeist, and then there was a good chunk of time of just sort of listing through life on the lazy river until my earlier twenties, when uh got <laughs> got more independent, cut out the vampiric relationship I was in, got healthier. Cause, dude, it's crazy how much the the vampiric relationship wrecks your health of your body. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I and you do it to yourself too, because like the more that you allow external parasites, the more internal the more parasitic you are to yourself, you're feeding mm-hmm. off of yourself. And, uh, like in college, I gained a hundred pounds <laughs> between the ages of 18 what? and 20.
0: Okay. Yeah. I heard you're talking about being overweight when you were in this interview, but like, I was thinking, okay, maybe 20, 30 pounds, a hundred pounds, dude.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it maybe, maybe that's an exaggeration. It's hard to know. Cause like at the biggest, I was afraid to weigh, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I lost the weight again, nearly as quick, uh, about the same time that I learned to meditate and started using cannabis, those two things combined seem to really help. So, interesting. I fell back off.
0: Interesting. Okay, so the Zeitgeist movie. So I'm going to say something about that, and then I want to like tell you a few things about like my entrance, and I think you might find some of them kind of
1: kind of curiously interesting. You, are, but before we get
0: started, you're a Pisces, right? Are you a Pisces?
1: Uh, if you were a, like, I don't personally go with sidereal, but if you went right. sidereal, I would. Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I understand there's various, and now we're into like the astrology of fertilization dates and all of this other kind of stuff. So, my birthday, uh,
1: though, I got the skull and boner 322. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right yeah.
0: Okay. So, I think that some of the resonance and sort of like, the same, same different comes from your being Pisces and my being moon in Pisces. Right. And moon is sort of the home. Right. And so there's sort of some similarities in terms of uh, things that maybe we're attracted to, but also the way things we experience, sort of the way the effect plays out in terms of
1: like then how we show up in the world. Right. My, uh, my Mercury and Venus are in Pisces. So I love to communicate the Pisces stuff.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Very interesting. All right. So the Zeitgeist movie, I saw that, too. Um, I think I wasn't like while there was that stuff about the sun cults and you know the solar, the solar theology and and the economics and stuff like that. There were interesting pieces in that. But I think by the time that I saw that movie, I had already sort of like sniffed the socialism flavor a lot from a lot of other things. And I was able to detect it. You know, in that, in a way that, like, maybe put me onto it or less susceptible to some of the some of the programming of that of that documentary. Um, but yeah, it's inter- it's amazing how many people um, I talked to that that was one of their entree sort of documentaries into the whole thing. For me, it, the the entree document I was really into documentaries, but I was kind of. Um, I was kind of coming from the left a lot more, right? Like I was coming from the left. I did not come from a religious family. Um, and then in a very short period of time, I took a class at college. I had gone back to school. I'm a little bit older than you, but I had gone back to school probably around the same time. I was in like 2005, 2006. I don't know when you were in college, but I took this class called the the sociology of drug use. And there was two things that came up during the course of that class, right? That like it was kind of taught in sections and segments, by the way, like she taught the class that semester. It was like a a trial run of a course. It was the best class I ever took in college. And I would not be here doing this with you now if it weren't for this course. And of course they ended the course after that, that semester. And never, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. I think she was actually fired by the university. Um, But there was a segment that was on, um, gary webb and the dark alliance and the iran contra and the crack cocaine into the into south central and into the united states and then there was also a section on infiltra right and those two things yeah there was a i mean i still have the book from the course because it was a book she had put together of like documents and stuff like that it wasn't a regular textbook and those two things um that was the first time that i was sort of introduced i didn't have a, a the cute saying or term for it then, but the idea of problem reaction solution with uh, the Iran Contra and the crack cocaine scenario. And then all of this sort of conspiratorial lying around Gary Webb and, and freeway Ricky Ross and all of this kind of stuff. So I was sort of introduced to this idea that, Oh, the government creates problems so that then they can solve them with things that they wanted to do. And, the you know, before the problem ever even started, I was introduced to that. And then, there was a section on MKUltra and the only part of MKUltra that was really discussed uh, in the course was the very front facing parts that we all hear about when you listen to people who are, who create MKUltra propaganda so that they can like, Go be interviewed about it on Joe Rogan, and then they can say they've covered it, but it really just scratches the surface. So, like, the giving acid to the Johns and the Hooker House, right? And then, like, you know, interrogation and, and the, you know, church committee kind of stuff, right? That was all that was really covered there. But instinctively, like, when I heard that term MKUltra, like, some it resonated for me as something that felt familiar, even though I wouldn't have known how. And I also instinctively knew that the part that was being discussed was like, not the real thing. Like, not that that was fake. That was part of it. That was a very surface part of it, but that there was much more. And, and that was kind of my, those two things were my entree into sort of digging into things. And then that was in the fall of 2005. And then that fall, my brother also um, died on my stepbrother died unexpectedly, unexpectedly in like a not nice way per se and i sort of started on a spiral of my own right that that i went into you know i was using drugs at that time but it got very heavy and the following summer i happened to be here for the summer in austin and after a party like after after dance music kind of party one night i went back to somebody's apartment with them and they showed me the documentary loose change right and um and i but at the time that I watched it, like I had no idea who Alex Jones was. I didn't know who, um, I, maybe I had heard of Alex Jones, but I didn't really know what he did. I didn't have any idea about the fact that like questioning, um, nine 11 made you like a conspiracy theorist or some kind of weird right winger or whatever it was. Right. I was just watching it and going like, Holy shit, there's questions to be asked here. And, having like learned the things I learned the semester before it like just plunged me headlong into all of that kind of stuff. And then also the demoralization that you sort of spoke of from zeitgeist with like, Oh my God, I know stuff now that I didn't know. And it's great to know it, but like, what the fuck is the point? Let's go do more drugs.
1: <laughs> yeah. For me, the drugs were video games and food more like, yeah, but that's also drugs. i mean, video games are super drugs. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to to be completely honest, at that time in my life, too, pornography was a huge drug. Yeah. You know, I was of the age where as I was coming into sexual maturity was when the Internet was starting to get fast. And it's really wrecked a lot of people. I think (laughs) that's a very hardcore drug.
0: Well, it's very, it's, it's very pleasure on demand, right? It's like very, like I can like do this and get satisfaction right now, as opposed to like pursuing some activity that is a better use of my time that may bring satisfaction later, right?
1: Yeah, because and then especially and- on the the masculine side, it, uh, once you get that satisfaction, it lowers your overall energy level and vitality. So your ambition is curbed as well. And then you even feel less sort of, Uh, compelled to make something more of yourself because you don't even have the throughput to do it.
0: Yeah. The the other thing I noticed with things like that is also like the the ease with which it can sort of come, then it becomes like something that one does repetitively. Whereas when you have to work hard to to achieve some sort of satisfaction, you're tired and kind of like want to sort of relish it or think about it or enjoy it or reflect on it for a while before you again undertake an endeavor that will be something that leads towards a tremendous amount of pleasure. Right. So this idea that like just do it over and over again, push the button, its video games, food, drugs, they're all the same way. Right. They're all that sort of like immediate pleasure at the expense of like the more deep and meaningful pleasure of like working for something or pursuing something for a longer period of time. And then, you know, having the culmination of that be some sort of pleasure. I mean, there's pleasure all along, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. You're not the first person who's brought that up on this show, um, you know, about, about that being sort of a challenge for them to overcome at a certain point in their life. And, and that, that sort of having something to do with the kind of work that they do now and the way that they do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as a dichotomy to going back to the art thing, uh, what a big stepping stone and change in my life was after I got out of college, uh, that was actually the low point of my life was I graduated, but hadn't moved yet and wasn't doing anything. I was working in like a sandwich shop or a pizza place. And I think I was working in both places. I got fired from the sandwich shop eventually. And I didn't know, like I had the degree and I was like, now what? There was nothing, I hadn't done anything to network myself or to pursue any kind of like post-college career. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And that aimlessness was an anguish that I needed to go through. Mm -hmm. And it actually was what led me into consciousness altering (laughs) experiments. So like when I got into using psychedelics, it was uh, really way more on the cognitive exploration Side than mm-hmm. th- like pleasure seeking behavior. Mm-hmm. And always like I had the mindset from the beginning that this was a, a spiritual endeavor, not just something to do for fun. So uh, there were there were some things you would probably have to categorize as recreational use for me back then. But I remember <laughs> like I was in this phase where I had graduated and I hadn't moved on yet. I ended up moving back to uh where my parents live and I started working for them. And that was actually like, even though it felt like a defeat at the time, it was a great move because it was a stability thing that allowed me to, in my off time, build something else, uh-huh. which is what I ended up doing. But, uh, I, I had this first ever, <laughs> my first ever psychedelic trip, if you don't count cannabis, was psilocybin. And, uh, there are so many weird things that happened. I, I kind of want to talk about it a little bit. So
0: <laughs> do it. Let's do it.
1: When at the point when like, and I did it stupid. I, I really did. I hadn't really eaten and I drank a little bit of alcohol first, and then I slammed a bunch of coffee late at night and I was low on sleep. So I had all these factors that were just gonna make this very weird. And at the point where the psilocybin, which I'd never experienced before, started to like peak, I actually fainted on my feet and uh I fell. <laughs> it's so weird. I fell and I landed chin first on the ground. And uh it wasn't like I didn't get like badly hurt or anything, but when I sort of came to and my friend was standing over me, like, are you all right? Are you all right? And I realized that I had hurt my chin. It took me back in time to when I was four years old. And it was the first time I was allowed to take a shower without supervision. And I was a four-year-old kid jumping up and down. I slipped in the shower <laughs> and I fell and landed on my chin and I busted it open and I got this scar that is still there. And where I fell on the psilocybin, the wound that I got was the exact same spot. (laughs) It like busted open the scar. Mm -hmm. And in that moment that I remember being four and getting the original chin scar, it also reminded me of sexual abuse. I had whenever I was four years old that I had totally blocked out and forgotten about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) so that happened and ended up being like very cathartic although troubling in the moment but um you know it's way better to remember that something happened and not <laughs> there's a little bit there though i was like am i making this up did that really happen because it's so long ago It was a one time incident so you know maybe more easy to question yourself but after that uh I went and laid down. <laughs> well, I saw the other people in the, at the party and they were like standing over me talking. And I swear that they had just become monkeys. Like I lost all language ability temporarily and mm-hmm. they were talking and it was like, ooh, ooh, ah, ah is all I could comprehend. Mm-hmm. And I went and, uh, I went to bed and I didn't really sleep because I was tripping hard and I had this vision, this shamanic journey type vision where all these different Goddesses that were like entities that were rulers of or connected to different psychedelic substances mm-hmm. came to me one at a time on this flight through the astral plane. And they came to me in order. And they're like, all right, you're gonna meet a bunch of us. And the order that you meet us is the order that you're actually going to try these substances in your near future. And I was like, What? Because a lot of them I would never at the time thought I would try <laughs> or didn't know what they were. Mm-hmm. And It was, it's hard. I don't remember a whole lot about the visionary experience other than that and kind of what they looked like, but it ended up being true that, uh, I did experiment with the psychedelics in the order in which Mm -hmm. that vision came to me. very. Do you
0: remember what the entities of the different psychedelics looked like or what they were like? Like, how would, like, how did you identify them as separate from the other one? Like what were their, their qualities of difference?
1: Uh, they all looked pretty similar. They were sort of like there were like fairy queen fantasy looking mm-hmm. female entities. Uh, they they looked very similar, other than they were wearing different color.
0: Okay, um, okay, so color outfit. Okay, and then
1: they told me they told me what substance they were connected to each of them individually, and I like wrote it down and and then later realized that that was actually correct. That that, that was the order I encountered them in: Psilocy- cannabis, then psilocybin, then. MDMA, then LSD, and then DMT. That was the whole segment. Okay.
0: okay so that, that is really interesting. I want to pluck at the, the couple things here for a bit. And then I want to just remember to go back to the, the thing about the language, the archetypes, and archons from before as well. But I want to pick at this a little bit. So, first of all, do you were the. Let me, I want to ask you a couple questions about the chin thing because I don't know if you can see, but I have a scar on my chin too. What? <laughs> and. Mind. Right. And I have a. uh, when you were talking, I was like, holy shit, he's going to tell me almost the exact same story. And sort of you did. But um, I didn't have I've not had a psychedelic chin experience. I have had a psychedelic like I did cut my head open here at a party once. And that was kind of an interesting uh, that that had some further ramifications as well. Um, But was there any connection between the shower incident and the sexual abuse?
1: No, other than the age I was. It other was than like, age, both at four. Yeah, okay. it, I mean, and that they were both traumatic experiences. Uh, like you know, I was bleeding pretty bad when I got the chin busted. I don't know how close to the to each other they were in time, other than mm-hmm. within a year of each other. Do
0: you well, remember I anything remember, else about being four other than those two things?
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember some. Okay, I, I remember some normal, like good things about being four for sure. <laughs> okay, okay, just a curious. Like, I've learned since then about how. Traumatic experiences actually split off on what I call, based on the work of Dr. Tom Zenser, ego state Mm -hmm. fragments. And these are basically like a a small copy of yourself, of who you were at the time that the traumatic thing happened. Mm -hmm. It continues to live in the psychic Mm -hmm. and that really require integration. But even upon integration, they don't actually like cease to exist. They just become a, you just get that part of yourself back. So when you like shunt the traumatic experience away from yourself, it actually just becomes a compartmentalized bubble in your energy field, in your psychic space, continues to live and exist and holds on to all the qualities of who you were at that time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, part of the qualities that I sent off with that part of myself were things like. That I was creative, <laughs> that I was enthusiastic, that I was like happy, you know, all this stuff that is innate to a four year old. So um finding that ego state, I didn't know that that's what was happening at the time, but massively helped me reconnect a lot of my innate qualities and like inner child powers that massively helped me in my path from that point on.
0: So um, my friend Jeff and I call that and Randy and I used to talk about this as well. We call those the fractal cells. Right. That, that you know, and, and, and the way that you described it sort of matches up to sort of what we kind of talk about in that in that way. Um, so my chin scar here happened when I was two. Right. And I don't actually remember. Very. I don't know. Sometimes you've been told a story so many times that I could just be visualizing the story they're telling me. I'm not I can't say that I remember the incident. I definitely remember the hospital visit afterwards right um but i was watching the story is is that i was at my aunt chris's house i was they had videotaped me like with an old school video camera right they'd videotaped me on a swing at a park or something like that and they were showing me the video and when they were showing me the video i started to like rock oh i almost did it there i started to rock back and forth like on my seat and then in the video when i jumped off the, the The swing, I jumped out of my seat and I hit my chin on the corner of a coffee table, right? So I don't remember that really. I can't say that I do because I can envision it, but I don't know if I'm just envisioning like what they're telling me. But I remember being like in this very strange scenario in the hospital, doesn't seem like what visits to an emergency room seemed like after that and being actually tied down to the table, like having been tied into some sort of straight jacket or something like that. Now, they say it's so that they could do the stitches in my chin. It didn't feel like it was about that to me at the time. Right. So it's just kind of an interesting um, chin experience from youth. And you you associated that, you know, in some way, to this other experience you had when you were four. Right. And so some of my stranger experiences also seem to stem from from that time. So that's really interesting that that's what came up for you um, immediately. The first time you ever went into the psychedelic space. Right. Um, And 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 all the things that that brings up, what you said about um, after you kind of came to and had this sort of visionary state and whatnot, I sometimes wonder if there is like, okay so when you go to a concert or when you go to a party or something right there's like general admission and then there's like the area where like if you bought a table you know if you bought a booth or a table you know for bottle service or something at a club or or if you bought like a glamping site at a festival you can go to this part if you have VIP you can go here if you know the artists you can go backstage then there's like private after parties like I wonder if like the dimensional realm, is kind of like this as well. And that there are realms that are predicated on certain molecules opening them up. And they're like further and further and further backstage. So less and less and less of people like know about them or have access to them or whatever. And the way you saw them is being sort of like there was an entity attached to her that sort of controlled each one and they had a different color, right? So it's like, mm, I listen sometimes to uh, Carl Hart. I don't know if you know who he is. But he wants all the drugs legalized. He's tired of this bullshit where people are like psychedelics are okay and the other ones aren't. He's like, no, the molecules exist. They're access to, you know, you're entitled to do them. And I see it as like all of these realms have entrance points and we're here. And so is that stuff. So it's our birthright to be able to explore them sort of if we want. And it almost seems like um you were being told about like a process of initiation or like a step-by-step sort of like vision quest kind of thing. And each molecule would open up like the door to the the next layer of the, of the party or the further backstage experience or whatnot. What do you think about any of that?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I uh, of considering it. I, I wouldn't say you're wrong. Um, I always also like to point out that I do not Condone, recommend, or endorse the use of psychedelics, but I also do not condemn it. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, I'm definitely not here to tell people to go do these things, though. It's not oh, its not okay. to be taken lightly. Like, you know, for thousands of years, you would only shaman did this. <laughs> and for, for me, although I don't claim to be a shaman, at the time that I got into these things, it was a shamanic initiation. Mm-hmm. Um and i treated it as such privately i wasn't going around calling myself a shaman i was studying shamanism mm-hmm. i was practicing in non psychedelic um with without psychedelic assistance different shamanic techniques like drum and rattle journey work you know mm-hmm. uh there's there's definitely entities out there <laughs> and the abuse of these substances pops burns holes in your aura mm-hmm. and creates openings and vulnerabilities for all kinds of possibilities, (laughs) you know, like in a, in a metaphorical sense, it is almost like when you do, when you go really deep in the psychedelic experience, you are shuffling the deck again.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so they can be really great if your life, if it, you know, like that movie, everything, everywhere, all at once, if you're the most loser version of yourself possible and you go into those realms, you'll probably come out a better version of you. But if you're just carelessly continually doing it, you're just not going to know who you are anymore.
0: Correct. Um, so I don't condone either. Like I have chosen to experience, experiment with my consciousness and my life at this time. And I've gone through different phases of my life where I've been incredibly like not experimenting with anything and, you know, more like hardcore exercise and diet and clean eating and whatnot. I don't con- condone or condemn either, um, but I like to explore the experiences that I've had and that that other people have had. Very One
1: valuable th- experiences. Very valuable. Cont- t- still unpacking things from years ago.
0: And the other thing is, like with each experience, just like everything, pretty much in life, like you lose something and you gain something, right? Like you don't come out of it the same that you went into it. With almost, you know, and, and I think a lot of people get into a place where they think they're only getting things from these experiences. Right. And and that's not true. There's a trade off for everything. There's a trade off for knowledge. There's a trade off for, you know, just whatever it is. Right. Like, you know,
1: I think the key (laughs) is to pay in advance. Be like what I'm sacrificing is this part of myself. I need to let go of rather than going, trying to hold on to all of your bullshit. Right. Because then you'll end up potentially paying with something that you didn't want to lose.
0: Uh, absolutely, like, right. And I think knowing yourself, like I, a, hundred, a lot of people come to me because I talk about psychedelic experiences, and they'll be like all excited, or they like want to do it with me, or they want to go out and try it because they've heard what I talk about. And sometimes I don't tell anyone to do something or not to do something. But sometimes I'm like, "Well, I don't know about that person doing, <laughs> you know what I mean, doing that and whatnot." And to be quite honest, like there have been times in my life where I shouldn't have been doing it, and I paid a high and heavy price, right? And, and what's interesting is sometimes the drugs themselves or the, 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 the mushrooms or whatever you're doing, they will teach you the lesson. And they will like, for in my case, it was very direct. Like the mushrooms told me, like, you're doing something that is not good. And don't you come back here again until you stop that shit. Right. Like I had always had, you know, very enlightening, expensive trips and I learned a lot of stuff, but I was still going back into my day to day life, doing math, fucking up, whatnot, and not using any of the, the knowledge that I had gained in any kind of meaningful way. Right. I was just collecting knowledge and hoarding knowledge and like sitting there and like, you know, just being stupid. And I had this one trip that is the only trip that I would ever say, I don't believe there's such thing as as a bad trip. I think you always get exactly the trip that you need. Um, But it was darker and not pleasant or or mind opening and expansive in the same way that the ones before and most of the ones after had been. And there was like this web over it. And like I got a harsh talking to and I didn't do any, you know, like. I, within a few months, I quit doing meth, and I didn't do any psychedelics or any, anything for a couple of years after that. Until I had felt like I had sort of um, become whole again, and sort of atoned for the the wastefulness that I had displayed with you know the the knowledge that that had been shared to me with me. I, right. I
1: love that you equate wholeness with atonement because atonement is at one mint, which mm-hmm. is one mind.
0: Yeah. Right. Like, I I felt like I am like, I knew when the day came that I like, again, was sort of like, mm, uh, like ready or prepared. To go into that space again, just like I knew the difference when I was younger, between when I was ready for a gymnastics meet, and when I wasn't ready for a gymnastics meet and how different that experience would be. Like I knew exactly when the time came, when I was like, yes, I can go there again. Um, one of my big concerns is that this whole movement towards. Like psychedelic therapies and everybody thinking it's all about healing and medicine and all of this kind of stuff and and that like we should legalize it but that we need to appoint experts who are going to tell us how this should be done and what what these things all mean and what not and I have concerns on like a, a, a lot of concerns and I think Danny and I are going to explore some I think you know my friend Danny Katz. I think you've had her on your show. Um, Yeah, I
1: was just on Word Up. That should come out later this week. I'm really excited for that.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah, so she and I, you know, we get into exploring lots of different things related to lots of stuff. But, you know, um, I'm concerned about this idea that um, anybody knows the true use or purpose or meaning of this thing. Like most of the, you you know, there's all different kinds of, entheogens or psychedelics or whatnot but as soon as we like start appointing a class to explain to us what these things are what they're for how to use them what it means what the parameters are like it's not too far down the line that we'll be find ourselves in a pharmaceutical dr fauci situation again about you know about something and so it's one of these things that I, I caution people to be careful and to know oneself and to, you know, it, it, they're I've seen
1: people that give away psychedelics and then send their own personal servitor entities onto and into mm-hmm. the people that they gave the psychedelics.
0: Yep. <laughs> I've, I've,
1: I've, I've got the documents.
0: documents. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. This isn't a, a condone or condemn. Uh, but I do think that there's, you know, realities that exist at every vibration, separate dimensions that exist at every different frequency. And some of these molecules are just absolute like keys to those to those spaces not good bad or indifferent right and just like there's a doorman at every club or every bar right there's probably sort of an entity that represents those realms as well you know and that's interesting the way that you described it and the color and 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 which one they were associated to and they knew the order that it would go in and whatnot like that's a fascinating sort of series of you know or or way to to have that laid out
1: yeah yeah and it it was so prophetic. Like I, I didn't even bring back all of the experience and, and write it down and remember it, but you can't. it's impossible. Uh, <laughs> the, the MDMA fairy mm-hmm. actually showed me where I was going to be when I did it and showed me the environment. Like I was in the future experience, looking through my own eyes at the uh-huh. place that I was going to be. Mm-hmm. And then when that actually uh, came about later, <laughs> By the way, this was the second the second time I did mushrooms is when the MDMA fairy came back. That's what I'm calling it (laughs) and showed me where I was going to be in just a couple months trying MDMA for the first time. And then whenever I was there and I started having the deja vu, then I remembered, oh, I was shown this exact scenario, looking through my same eyes at the same scene right now. And (laughs) so that was interesting because then it gave me kind of courage to go forward into the next phases of the exploration because I was like, man, some, something's guiding me here. And it was good guidance. um, But I don't know if that's always the case for everybody. Yeah. The guidance they get and using psychedelics as a shortcut to health is I think slippery because they're never actually going to be the shortcut to health or to wellness. The best they do is make the mind clear show you where the work needs to be done, but the work still needs to be done. And I think that there's less volatile ways to bring the clarity about. That's why I'm super into the biofield tuning modality, because that can, that can bring the help and the clarity without even needing to consciously remember or feel the trauma or the bad experiences.
0: Yeah. Yeah something you just said your MDMA experience right so i have this idea about and and it, Lindsay and i started to open it up in in a show that we did and it, it's deserving to go back and and sort of look into it more but i have ideas about like I guess the way one would talk about it is like it's a more metaphysical or larger form of like geocaching in that everything that ever happens at a particular location is recorded past, present or future. Right. And so like if I go um, like I would I first lived in Austin back in 1999. Like I had these weird experiences that didn't make sense to me now then, but make sense to me now because I was like having memories or seeing things that weren't there then, but are there now. Right. So when I went and stood in that place, I was actually connecting with the me that is here now and those things exist there. Right. And so the fact that she showed you where you would be when you were doing them in this scenario, that there was like literally an environment in a location involved with that. Like that's fascinating to me. And I, I think some of these uh, compounds act as like like almost like time crystals. Right. And MDMA is actually just one molecule off of meth. And I've talked about meth as a time crystal before so that it could have like some sort of temporal recording or projecting properties about it. it would be uh, definitely like a possibility. Um, and then the way that you described that the deja vu, like I've certainly had that experience before and I've had that experience in a place where I have done MDMA. So I'm curious about the, that property of it as well. I've never thought about MDMA as having like a huge temporal uh, recording kind of quality to it. I think of it much more in terms of like uh, associating to like sensory perception and emotion and connectivity in terms of like you know, like your bond with people or, or, or something like that, but I'm going to have to look at it from this other angle now, based on what you said and, and the way that it connects to some ideas that, that I've thought about that. What do you think about that though? The locations geocache, right. And that anything that's ever going to happen ever has happened and we're going to happen in a location is always there. And it's just how you sort of like what, What vibration you're in and that can come from like the the state of your body based on what you're eating or exercise or dancing or whatever else is going on that you can sort of tap into that space that way.
1: So I don't look at it as the space itself Mm -hmm. that does the recording, but the ether, what we call ether, Mm -hmm. you could also call it spirit. It's the new age Akashic record. I guess that's an older term than the new age. But for in my in my opinion, for there to be a congruent consensus reality that frame by frame continues forward in a linear experience with consistency, there has to be some mechanism that has recorded the information of everything that came before and what's coming next, Mm -hmm. (laughs) at least the what came before. So I consider that to be the medium of the ether. So like we have plenty of evidence that ether exists mm-hmm. and all the attempts to debunk it are fallacies fallacious. So the way that I, the the simplest way to talk about ether would be if there is a medium for lack of a better word, that everything energetic and physical is a manifestation out of the different perturbations or vibrations of this ether create different forms of energy and matter then by the nature of it being this pleromic dimension, it has to exist beyond or before the concept of separation,
0: location,
1: Mm -hmm. distance, Mm -hmm. time. It can't, none of those, none of those properties can be attributed to it. It's the basically like in the Jungian sense from like how he puts it in the short work, seven sermons to the dead the pleroma is everything and it's opposite put together. Okay. But when you put the, when you put everything and its opposite together and everything thus cancels itself out, giving you the whole concept of how the, the isness of reality comes from the void. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How does the isness come out of the void? It's because the opposite of power or effectiveness is ineffectiveness and ineffectiveness cannot cancel out effectiveness. So even in this pleuromic void, there is a pure potentiated uh power energy <laughs> that c- cannot be negated. It's the zero point. This is the zero point field. Right. And because this zero point field exists before, if it's going to be something that is the all and the medium that everything is connected by, then it cannot have any possibility of being separated. You can't like, cut the ether in half. And then here's a segment of ether there. And there's a segment of ether there. And because all matter and energy is an expression of this ether and this ether is intrinsically one. That means that the ether in your body field that makes up your body and is your body is a vessel that holds it is the whole universe. <laughs> the entire universal ether is con, is contained is just a word for description. It's not contained, but it is. An expression of the all. So the ether that makes up you is not separate from the all and thus the all knowing. And that's why upgrading our language and coming up with languages beyond just communicating quantitatively with each other, as we do with things like English, is so powerful. Like the biofield anatomy system that I work with, the tuning forks allows me to, it's a language. It gives my body the ability to communicate to me through that language information that it intrinsically knows because it is an expression of it connected with the all. And so it's my opinion that all that is separating or all that's stopping us from actually (laughs) being able to access the all knowing state is that we don't have the language to communicate with the part of us that already knows, which is our physical body physical and spiritual are not separate in this conceptualization. There isn't a spirit world over there and a physical world here. This is the spirit world. Uh, Psychedelics showed me that quite clearly. I just needed to open the aperture wider to see. And I think that's what's going on when you're talking about like the temporal aspect of things like MDMA or meth, which I'm pretty sure I've accidentally done being told it was MDMA. (laughs) Another thing to watch out for with the, underground psychedelic acquisition is things being passed off as things they aren't and it's even worse now with shit like fentanyl that flies around. Oh, Jesus yeah, I'm so glad that um, I'm not I'm
0: not
1: into I'm drugs not, anymore. <laughs> I'm so glad that I don't do drugs anymore. Save here. Yeah. My life is trippy enough. I'm good. Yeah, so <laughs> spontaneous experiences enough. So anyway, like, you know, your eyes dilate dilate wider open. Your aperture to truth is wider and So the temporal information is also a bigger scope or spectrum coming into you at that point as well. You're getting more of the all. It's just a matter of, can you interpret it? Can you Are you sensitive enough to your body and have a language and a way to communicate with your body well enough that you can know what it means? Is that sensitivity is the key, the feeling, knowing, (laughs) and I think this is part of the shamanic experience too, is like being able to feel a feeling in your body and recognize what energetic Mm -hmm. flow or blockage in the external world, that feeling is correlated to Uh and then do the appropriate shifting in your inner energetics to unblock the flow inside and then watch how the external situation changes and shifts without you doing anything in the external world physically. Mm -hmm. I think that's what shamanism is. It's recognizing the inner outer world symmetry And then working on the internal level to assist the external level without exercising any control over the external level.
0: So I I agree with what you just said. I think maybe just clarify. Like when I say about geocaching and location, like I don't mean because it's at like the corner of this street and that street. What I mean is like the nature that is there like the sand the ground the rocks the trees yeah
1: there's a resonance to the future events in that location because that location has
0: correct and it's a
1: consistent spot
0: and that and just the different elements that are there like the way that they they, they everything in my opinion like all the things around us are alive and are sort of Recording in a different way than what we think of recording when we think of like you know our video or whatever. Everything's everything, eyes. Everything's all the time, right? You see all the eye. Everything is made up of eyes. When you move into the psychedelic space, like holy shit, I can't get away from them. I don't know why I'm so worried about the camera over there. The right like, kind of thing. But watchers keep so watching, right? So there's these natural these these elements of nature that have these properties that that do some of this sort of like storing, like keeping an accurate record of, of what has gone on as opposed to the morphing reality sort of around. And then there's this ether quality, and I see the body as the interface between that, that sort of ether or this sort of spirit information, you know, all this realm, and then the physical. So the body is an interface technology that you can use to modulate and do exactly what you just described, right? There yeah,
1: metaphorically, certain- if the reality was akin to the Internet, your body is the computer terminal that right. you're accessing it through.
0: Right. So, so that's how I see that. Right. And so it requires me to be there. Right. So it requires the ether, it requires my, you know like sort of um bio spiritual technology of the body here and then the things at that location it just gives me a way of sort of like arranging and sort of viewing almost like a hologram or a holograph of of you know a reality of a certain incident or time period or whatever um but it isn't just like that it's there because it's at that place on the map, right? Like it it has to do more with sort of the elements. Um, Before we wrap up the first hour, I want to go back to these two things that I mentioned because you keep bringing up language. I had this interesting, and you're just on Danny's show and she's all about the language and finding new ways to sort of talk about all of these things the last psychedelic trip that I had, the very sort of opening scene, right? You know, when you sort of have like the first like funny idea that comes through that isn't like the way you're normally thinking about things. Like I was laying down and I saw like, remember those plastic letters that you used to have the magnet, they're magnets. You put them on the refrigerator and you can like spell out your name or words. There was all of these that were like lining up to get on a conveyor belt and go into this machine that was like melting them. Right. And it was telling me that like that this is like the language of machine learning. Like it was showing me how like your language is really important to how the learning happens and how we understand things right and that the way you speak about them will be mixed up all into this brew and what comes out on the other side is dependent on what this sort of learns from the language you put into it right it was kind of an interesting i don't normally have that kind of visual on the way in but yes absolutely right the way that we um The way that we talk about things and the way that, you know, there's there's information being broadcast from us and all around us all the time. And if we can bring some of that conversation into sync so that we're accurately understanding the information around us and able to have uh, back and forth communication in a more sort of meaningful and well understood on a completely like Every level, kind of way, then we're really going to start to get somewhere in terms of like the potentialities that you speak of, it, you know, and, and whatnot. And then and the biofield is a huge part of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so true. That's <laughs> so, also what what I realize now is the huge value of syncretism is
0: uh, <laughs> lining it this, up.
1: Yeah, in this uh, war of words on the sea of consciousness, the maritime. Inverse controllers, you know, you sink their ships by sinking what is coming from their lips. <laughs> they want to throw everything into the blender of division mm-hmm. and show. So whenever you're able to like syncretize information that you're seeing that would be divisive, but find how actually there's more sameness than difference mm-hmm. between this, that or the other thing. Mm-hmm. That's what sinks the uh, the enemy's battleship.
0: Synch- uh, right, the, syn- the 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 synchronicity, the synchronization, the sy- yeah, absolutely. That is, I never thought about that in terms of that being the thing that sinks the ship. But I like the uh, the maritime extraction from <laughs> from that. So the last thing was you. I had never heard somebody like pair or, or com- put archetypes and archons together, sort of in the way that you just described it. Right, like I think there's this very um, depending on. You know, if you've listened to, you know, Robert Stanley or John Lamb Lash or or whoever, right? Like there's these ideas about archons, right? And they seem very separate from what we think of as archetypes. But that idea that you brought up in terms of uh, going into the space and having conversation sort of with them and a back and forth that changes what they are. um, That's exactly right. Right. And I think of one of the ways that I speak about archetypes, like I do it mostly when I'm talking about tennis. Right. But since I started talking about Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal and whatever, I have seen times where their actions, their way that they're presenting themselves from the world or in front of the media or things that they're saying almost seem to be directly in response to some something that I have had to say about them. Right. Something that I have some comparison I made or some analogy I made or something I tied it to or some prognostication or prediction or whatever. I don't see myself as a future predictor. I see it as what you're talking about. Like I've started into conversation, even though it's at a distance and often metaphorical, but that conversation has changed the way that they present themselves and the way that their archetype, or their archetype or archon, has affected everyone around them, or all the things that go on. Sort of, if you think of them as archons, you think of them as sort of up above and us as, as beneath. And archetypes, maybe people think about a little bit differently, but yeah, I think that it's completely possible to engage in a variety of interchanges and conversations with these entities and to affect change in that realm.
1: So think about a hurricane or a storm, okay? Mm-hmm. And in the center is the stillness of the vortex, the mm-hmm. eye of the storm. Mm-hmm. That void is the true eye. Mm-hmm. And everything on the periphery of this spiraling energy is further, this is all opinion, by the way, <laughs> is further uh, multiplicity, plurality, mm-hmm. ilu- further out from this void is more movement more density uh more illusion of separation mm-hmm. more uh more novelty and more complexity and so the thing about like to me what is when everyone's like we're all one everything's one the aspect of the universal reality that is one is life force energy the actual life force energy itself and then what we experience in this uh, construct, you could say, is the dynamics of energy flow, the actual. And so that's why we live in such an abstract realm of mentalism and thought, despite having this physicality to us that is actually uh, the expression of that life force energy. That's one like, you know, are animals separate from their environment? What is it that makes us think the fish is not the stream (laughs) that it's in? It's a mental concept. It's a mental differentiation. So the further out you go, the more plurality there is, the further in you go, the less separation there is. So when I talk about archetypes, my my personal opinion is that the closest ring around, around the, that has movement around the void, the eye of the storm, mm-hmm. the pupil... Of the mm-hmm. eye, mm-hmm. <laughs> the central channel of energy of the biofield, the torus, the hole of the donut, <laughs> you get it? The hole in the middle of the donut is where everything is whole. There's no and that's the void aspect. Yeah, the, it's the plural aspect. So to me, the idea of the archons or archetypes, these are layers of the vortex that are closer to the eye, closer yeah. to the hole. And thus there are fewer of them. Yeah. The further in you go. Yeah. And, but so you could also consider it like, you know, this conversation you can have with these archetypes or these beings or this pantheon or these gods, they are the the empowering position to take is to recognize that it's you. Yeah. And it's you and it's not you paradoxically. It's not the ego. You, it's not the far out on the arm of the hurricane storm, separate version of you. Right. but yeah. That part of you that is this ego, that is this identity has agency to steer the storm, to steer the ship and not to control the whole thing. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that the whole journey, journey towards the center uh, whole to the wholeness of the whole of the donut requires you have to go past these guardians of the threshold and figure yes. out, figure out whether or not, they rule you and you're scared of them and you're still separate or that they're part of you and that you can, that they actually are as curious about you and want, your input, and want your input as much as yeah. you're looking to figure out everything from their perspective.
0: 100%. 100. It's your opinion, but I, yes, I, that, I liked what you called them. The, what did you call them? The guardians of the,
1: Guardians of the threshold.
0: Guardians of the threshold. I've always referred to them like there. There's two kinds. There's 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 there's. I like your term, Guardians of the threshold. There's also someone that I call Boundary Guards, and I think they're slightly different. But that one's on one side of the threshold, and one is sort of a top or on the other side of the threshold, right? But I know that entity and that energy that you're talking about, right? And that sort of back and forth that communication that a little bit of like pull and push and whatever with that is fascinating.
1: Yeah. Like the her, I, I put everything in the lens of the I Ching. I'm a huge I Ching guy. And uh, I realized how the I Ching is connected to Hermes or Mercury really yeah. innately from the, I think it's in the coffin texts, uh, Hermes, Trismegistus, the Egyptian version of Hermes from Hermopolis, who is Thoth to Houthi, uh later Anubis. He says, I am one that becomes two. I am two that becomes four. I am four that becomes eight. After that, I am one again. And in the I Ching, it, the uh, trigrams, you familiar with the I Ching?
0: I mean, that, I'm I not like deeply familiar with it, but reasonably mm-hmm. familiar with it
1: so the i ching is composed of hex they're called hexagrams yeah. they're six lines of either a straight or an unbroken line and a broken line mm-hmm. so to derive i realized that they derive the trigrams in this exact same uh thing as hermes who is lord 8 uh hermopolis in egypt being the place where he was rever- hermes was revered it i should say uh Having a very similar pronunciation in the Egyptian and Coptic version of the name Hermopolis as the Hebrew word for eight, mm-hmm. uh, and eight is the Analemma. Eight is the sun. Eight turned sideways is the infinity sign, but it's also eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the I Ching, you start with the grand ultimate, which is just a, a, a long straight line, and then that line divides into two on the next level up. <laughs> And one side of it is an unbroken line, which is pure Yang. And then a broken line on the other side, pure Yin. And then the next level up where the two becomes four, you have a strong Yang, which would be a Yang on top and a Yin beneath. And then you have pure Yang, or I'm sorry, strong Yang is two Yangs. Weak Yang would be a Yang with a Yin under it. And then vice versa for the other side, strong Yin, two broken lines, weak Yin, broken line, unbroken line. And then after that, that group of four eight. becomes the eight trigrams, which come together to form the 64 configurations of the I Ching. So uh, that's a little syncretism of <laughs> ancient Egyptian with the uh, Chinese mysticism. They come from the same source uh, in antiquity. And it's sort of a depiction of what we're talking about here, too, with the uh, the archetypes, the the grand ultimate archetype, which is this unbroken line. A way of conceptualizing how the, uh, the wholeness is an unbroken continuum, mm-hmm. no beginning and no end. And then as you further out into levels of division, you have primary archetypes like yin and yang, white and black. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, interaction between the white and the black gives you the four. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, further complexification of it gives you the eight elements, which you could consider to be like colors in a way.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah the more the more iterations the more sort of variations and sub variations that occur within the sort of different fractalizations of what makes up the entirety of yeah i mean it's 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 interesting stuff all right let's do this let's tell everybody where they can find your work and all that jazz and then we're going to move over into the supporter segment and talk a little bit more about um maybe some intense experiences and this sort of uh, science and sound of festivals and underground music culture and whatnot.
1: Sounds really fun. Thanks for having me on Emily. This is great. I look forward to having you back on my show soon too. So you can find me at interverse podcast.com probably the best place to go. If you want to check out the video versions of my content, because I do video versions of all the podcasts, which they're also on podcast playing apps like iTunes and, Spotify and all that, uh, YouTube, Rockfin, Odyssey, BitChute. I'm on all that stuff. You can get the premium version of my content through Patreon and Rockfin, but I do a ton of free stuff. We analyze Marvel movies pretty regularly. I have my live show, Vibrant, which Emily's going to do soon. Very community-based, like bringing together all the researchers weekly for the next level of the syncretism. <laughs> and uh my main podcast, Interverse, is an interview-based show every week. Amazing stuff. Highly recommend some of the newer episodes on there. And then people can work with me one on one for biofield tuning, which is an incredible modality. Go check out my channels, the uh interverse com slash sound dash healing. If you want to find some content about you know how that all works, but <laughs> if you want to get in touch, I will use this big He's got enjoy. the big <laughs> fork. <laughs> fork the shit out of you with this thing. <laughs> like,
0: look That's at the big thing. one, dude. It's
1: unbelievable. Wow. My my community crowdfunded this for me, and it's freaking amazing. Wow.
0: Very cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, we're going to move over to the other side. If you'd like to join us, patreon.com forward slash off planet media, emilymoyer.locals.com, or rockfin.com forward slash Moyer. We will see you on the other side.